This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell and over the next half an hour or so we'll be hearing some business reaction to the budget. We'll be talking to the Small Firms Association and accountant Alan Siri, who will be telling us whether the budget contained any good news for entrepreneurs. And we'll be hearing of the report about retail in Kilkenny, which will form an important part of the county's development plan and inform future plans for the retail sector in the city and county up till about 2026. But first, to golf. It's a multi-billion euro industry where around the world literally billions, millions of people spend billions on golf club memberships, golf bags, golf club, uh, golf clubs, clothes and accessories and where the professional game generates many more millions and billions. At the heart of it all is the, can we say, humble golf ball and the Carlo-based company is at the heart of cutting-edge golf ball technology, manufacture and marketing, and has spread into other areas of the golf market. Joining me in studio is Dean Clatt of Seed Golf. Dean, you're very welcome to The Bottom Line. John, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we spoke some years ago um, about your business, which at that stage I think was an idea emerging from uh, IT Carlo, where you were in the Innovation Centre there. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, look, it's been going pretty well. That was probably about two years ago, I think. So we... we uh, came through an Enterprise Island program at Carlo IT through their New Frontiers program. So I think at that stage we'd, uh, we were just about to launch to market, I would say. So we've been uh, at it for nearly two years now to market. So we've got, um, we're in about 31 countries so far and uh, have about over 10,000 customers and uh, growing pretty rapidly. So it's been going quite nicely. Yeah, tell us a bit about the mental stage required to eye up the global golf industry and to hit place yourself at the heart of it and go after it from Carlo. To try and take on those big yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely an unusual Who are your competitors? Our competitors would be, all, uh, the, if you're into golf, would all be the big golf brands that you'd be familiar with. So Titleist in the golf ball market would be the biggest one. Um, Shrixon, which is a Japanese company, would probably be next. And then there's Callaway and TaylorMade and those type of companies. So what we looked at really was, so my background was in brand management of golf equipment, um, US brands that I was, was managing or selling, whatever you want to call it here in Ireland, based in Ireland, but into the UK and into Europe. So um, so I could kind of see the market changing and that whole online space starting to, to come about. Um, and uh, thought there might have been potential for an opportunity to do something like with what we're doing now with, with Seed. So um, it took a, took a couple of years to develop the product. And then when we, when we initially launched, we just launched with, without any marketing, which was really unusual, um, just to see if the story would, would resonate with, with golfers out there and how far it would spread. And it spread a lot further and a lot quicker than I anticipated. And what's the basic proposition of your, of your golf ball? Talk to us a bit about where the brand fits in. Like, do people Essentially want to what stick we, with well-known brands? Yeah, they, look, it'd be very brand-conscious um, uh, market, actually, the golf industry. So if our thing really is we offer our value proposition, if you like, is we offer the same performance for half the price. So what we try to do, there's a couple of things that allow us to do that um, that aren't really well-known. But again, coming from the industry background, I kind of had this knowledge. Um, was that the USGA, the United States Golf Asso- Association, and the RNA, which is the, the body that kind of regulate 
golf and control golf around the world. Um, so with the, with the golf ball in particular, there's quite a lot of regulations around performance and manufacture of that. So the size of it is all uniform. The, the shape of that golf ball is all uniform. The weight of it is all regulated. Um, how fast it can come off the club face is all regulated. And the total distance it can actually travel is regulated as well. So even for a small company like us, or whether you're Titleist, the big billion dollar companies, we're all kind of working to those restrictions. So there's a kind of a performance line that you can get to and you can't go past that. So as long as you can design a product up to that performance line, it kind of means you're pretty much in the ballpark with those major brands. So with that knowledge and thinking that it was probably getting possible that we could probably develop something ourselves to be able to to perform that well, there was an opportunity if we could show the, the average golfer, the general golfer, we don't sponsor any tour players, so we don't do that kind of thing. Um, if we could uh, show just the average rec- recreational golfer the same performance, but do it for a lot less than what they were currently buying, we thought there'd be a good opportunity for a market there. Yeah, and you, you developed the company out of the Enterprise and Research Incubation Campus in IT Carlo. Correct, yeah, we're still there. So we, as I said, I came through that Enterprise Island program and they, they put me down there. There's a Department of Aerospace there with a wind tunnel and all that sort of stuff, which is really handy for, for, for if you're trying to design dimple patterns for golf balls, because it's like a little missile. So it's a perfect spot to be doing that. They also have a, a sort of a rapid uh, prototyping product lab down there called Design Core, which we used a little bit as well. There's 3D printers, CAD design, SolidWorks, all that sort of stuff, which has allowed us to, in theory, you could design a uh, design a, a ball from scratch there, get a 3D printed, take it over to the wind tunnel in the Department of Aerospace and test it all out and see how it compares to something else. So, yeah, um, so yeah look, it was a, it was a good, it's been a good place to be based and we've just kind of expanded out. So we started there just in a hot desk. It was just me and an idea. And now we've got three staff down there working, uh, took over one of the units out of the back of the the um, the Eric building and we're still there plugging away. And how many countries around the world are your seed golf balls been hit around at 30, the moment? Thirty one, which really surprised us. And and the the one where we knew it was happening, but when we really started to notice this, we're probably about Christmas time last year, just just gone. And we started to get some orders from Bahrain, and we were thinking, Bahrain, geez, there's no way, you know, but it should be gold plated to selling Bahrain, <laughs> not same performance half the price, you know. We thought, this is really unusual. How is this happening? So we did a bit of research to see what was going on. And what turned out was there was an Irish fellow down there, must be working out there, I guess, and must have had a golf day or something like that on to take his clients out and bought a, I can't remember what it was, 20 or 30 dozen golf balls from us and took them down there and must have given them all away. Next thing we know, we start getting these orders through from, from Bahrain. And that kind of story where the Irish, you know, I think half the world thinks they're Irish. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of expats all around the world, say in Hong Kong, Singapore, that story's probably been similar for us. The States has been similar, where there's people that like that idea of this small little sort of David and Goliath story, this small brand in Carlo that's taking on the big boys. Um, and I, th- I think they like to, to have something that has the flavour of home. So that's definitely helped us expand quickly into those markets, which I didn't expect. Yeah, and now as well as the golf ball, you're extending your range out beyond to other golf products. Tell us about that. Yeah, we are. The, the golf ball was the first product um, we started with. We we needed a, a solid base for the business. As I said, I thought the market opportunity for the ball was, was quite... Um, quite interesting at the time when we started and, and, and quite exciting actually I really thought there was a good potential to do what we were doing um, but yeah the, the, we would look at other segments of the market that would have similar market conditions and what, I, what I mean by that is the golf ball market at the time so Titleist and Strix on those two brands I mentioned had just over 70% market share between the two of them um, 
which you would think would mean that that makes them unassailable. They'd be too big, too strong, and how are you ever going to compete with that? But in actual fact, what it kind of does is because they, they both operate the same type of business model, so the direct business-to-business type model, they use a lot of big professional endorsements like Rory McElroy's of the world or that sort of thing, which is expensive. So they're kind of locked into this high-price um, business model, basically. And to for your young sort of snappy upstart like us, uh, you can kind of get in there under their guard and it's hard for them to react and compete to that because it means kind of turning this big monster away from its traditional business model into something that's a little bit more flexible, basically, and quicker. Um, so we would look at other market segments where those market conditions might be similar. So a good example of that is is, is outerwear, rainwear. And again, not being Irish, one of the things I noticed when I first came here was to play golf here regularly. Um, you know, you really need good equipment and you need that type of outdoor rainwear, really, that can handle any type of conditions and can handle the, the sun, the rain, the wind and all that sort of stuff that you might get thrown up here playing golf in Ireland. So there's a Swedish brand uh, called Galvin Green that has similar, about 68%, I think, of the outerwear market but uh, makes Gore-Tex type product. It's very, very good quality, very, but it's very expensive as well, sort of four, 500 euros a jacket kind of thing. And we look at that and think, well, that's a potential for us to do something similar to what we've done in Balls. So we've been spending probably about the last 12 months we've been working on trying to develop something with that. We're looking at some recycled materials where the material we're using, it's a waterproof material for the jacket, but it's made from recycled plastic bottles. So there's a sustainability angle to it as well. Um, and we're just trying to put that together now. So for us, you know, the, the quality of the product and the performance of the product is foremost, more so than the actual price. So we have to get something that is as good as what's already out there. And then we do our bit behind the scenes by cutting out the middleman and all that sort of stuff to, to make it more cost effective for the, the average golfer. And then once we can get those parameters in place, then we're, we're right to, to go, I think. So, so that's kind of how we approach it. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. On Tuesday of this week, Minister Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Public Expenditure and Finance, announced his budget 2020. He described it as a budget without precedent, um, with the main emphasis being on planning for a no-deal Brexit. But what was in it for business owners and business uh, entrepreneurs? Uh, with me is Alan Siri from O'Neill Foley Accountants. Alan, anything in it for business owners? And there's two things mentioned in the budget for business owners, John. So firstly, uh, there's an earned income tax credit which increased marginally from 1,350 to 1,500 euro. So what he's trying to do there is get that 1,500 euro tax credits up to the same levels PY credit for 1,650. So that's a small change, but a welcome change nonetheless. We were hoping to see some improvements to relief calls, entrepreneurial relief. Um, there, there was a um, a white paper issue during the summer and consultation paper looking for feedback from various stakeholders. So we would have sent in um, submissions on that. What Entrepreneur Relief does is it allows business owners a favourable rate of capital gains tax if they sell their business or part of the business. Um, uh, so the current rate of capital gains tax, as you know, is 33%, and what the entrepreneurial rate is 10%, um, but it applies only up to the first million of gains. And there are other uh, conditions to it, uh, which you know don't, don't fit all circumstances. Um, the relief, the corresponding relief in the UK is much more generous, so it's £10 million sterling over there, which is quite significant. Um, and there's all, the, the timelines around it as regards how long you have to hold an asset are, are much shorter. Whereas, for example, here, for, say, for technology companies, they tend to grow quite quickly or tend to get value quite quickly if they're successful. Um, 
Whereas one of the conditions around entrepreneurial leave is that you have to have it for three years. And three years is actually a long time in a technology space, uh, especially with disruptive type technology. So um, it was probably disappointing not to see further further changes uh, to that relief. But um, I suppose going back to your earlier point, it's probably sit tight for breaks to see what happens there and see what comes out of it. And what kind of inhibition, inhibiting effects does the failure to make changes like that have on, on, on business and the business environment, in your view? Well, um, it, it, to come back to Charlie McQueevy's uh, time back in 1997, he famously halved the rate of capital gains tax from 40% to 20%. And what that actually did was it actually increased the cap to take from capital gains tax uh, overall. So um, if tax rates were very high, people are actually less inclined to take an action that would realise a tax liability. So business owners then tend to maybe not realise the value of their investment because they think the tax is too punitive. And it's it's, it's an amazing number of conversations that you would have with business owners where the tax almost is nearly the primary um, thing to deal with rather than the commercial objective around it. So it's not really given an incentive to entrepreneurs to take a risk uh, on you know going out on their own, making some money, creating employment, creating wealth for themselves and their wider circle and stakeholders um, uh, when tax rates are high. So that that's why the entrepreneurial relief uh, benefit of 10% was brought in initially, was to, to encourage people to say, well, listen, if you do take a risk and you, you do reap a reward, hopefully, you know, you'd be incentivized to do that from a tax perspective as well. So because it's relatively low, particularly in technology space where, you know, there are a lot of companies in Ireland and um, other industries as well, that one million, yes, while it is a lot of money, it's not actually that much relative to possible uh, size of a transaction. Um, it doesn't really encourage people to to um, to uh, really put the shoulder behind the wheel and drive the business on to a good value. So the law of diminishing returns really is the result of the failure to take action on tax reform, in your view. Um, yeah, well, that's probably a bit of a strong statement, John. But I, you know, I I I think if if we have. Given what we do for larger multinationals, you know, with the knowledge box economy, with, you know, obviously Ireland is, is a very attractive place for, for multinationals now, we need to maybe see some more uh, reliefs and so on being targeted towards um, indigenous Irish-owned businesses as well. Um, so, like, the entrepreneurial relief is, is a good relief, but it can certainly be extended. And, and again, we only have to look across the water as regards what, what's available over there. As you say, Alan, a huge contribution to the economy from small and medium-sized businesses. Earlier, I spoke to Sven Spallen-Borens from Small Firms Association. Thank you, John. Yes, uh, small business owners make up uh, a huge percentage of uh, employment in the country, and uh, you can find small businesses in every village, in every town, in every city of the country. And business confidence isn't the best at the moment. So with the budget, we were actually hoping for a bit of a confidence booster, which in short we didn't get. We got a a mixed bag of things. So uh, maybe to start with the positive. So there were a number of uh, SME-relevant measures in relation to the key employee engagement program, in relation to investment incentives, and in relation to research and development that went in the right direction, where government recognized the importance of small business. We also saw that the earned income tax credit for self-employed people has come closer to parity with those that are in payee employment. Uh, We are talking about an increase of 150 euros, but still we haven't got parity there yet. We still have a discrimination, a blatant discrimination when it comes to small business owners that are self-employed. So that was a disappointment. And overall, the disappointment that 
the budget wasn't ambitious enough. Uh, Brexit is uh, fast approaching and we need a competitiveness boost. And if you look at the budget, costs will go up in the first instance. I mean, everybody understands why we have to increase carbon tax and we're all subscribing to that notion of a low-carbon low carbon economy, but we haven't been given the tool to offset the cost. We don't know uh, whether this is just another uh, source of revenue for the government or are they serious about reaching the, uh, the uh, environmental goals. And the last piece of the jigsaw, we have been calling for a reduction of the capital gains tax. Uh, our uh, fellow business owners in the UK have a much lower capital gains tax uh, than we, us here in Ireland, and capital gains tax remained at the same level. What exactly would you like the government to do? What we like government to do is take the small indigenous business sector seriously. We know that government uh, has been very serious when it came to foreign direct investment. And we all know about the benefits of uh, the corporate tax rate that we have here in Ireland. But we don't have a coherent strategy when it comes to how to treat the small indigenous business sector. There's too much piecemeal. There's not enough joint of thinking. And what we like is a tax strategy that will really support the small business owners. That includes the capital gains tax, which makes them more uh, attractive for investment uh, in their business. We also like equal tax treatment when it comes to self-employed people. Uh, And we want a tax system that is easy to use for the smaller businesses. Sven Spallen-Behrens from the Small Firms Association there giving the reaction of his organisation to the budget unveiled earlier this week. And before Sven, you heard Alan Siri from O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now, a hugely important sector of the business community over the years has traditionally been the retail sector. And this is a sector we've discussed many times on the programme over the last few months. It's a sector that has been under some pressure in recent years, buffeted by changes in consumer behaviour consumer sentiment, economic headwinds, rising costs and changes in technology. Many bemoan this and hold a bleak view about the future of retailing. Others are far more positive and I've spoken to many of them and they say that despite the challenges, business can be good in retailing if you're adaptable, energetic and prepared to get stuck in. Kilkenny County Council is currently engaged in the development of a retail strategy which will form an important part of the county development plan which will shape how Kilkenny develops between now and 2026 or so. As part of this development work of the County Development Plan, during the week they held a meeting for retailers in Kilkenny in the Kilkenny Ormond Hotel. I went along and at this meeting I heard them outline plans for a retail task force. Later I'll speak to Councillor David Fitzgerald, one of the council members especially keen to see progress in this area. But first I spoke to Rob Pearson of Nexus Research from the UK who carried out extensive research on retailing in Kilkenny City and County for Kilkenny County Council. I asked him how the work he's been undertaking will feed into the County Development Plan. So um, we've uh, prepared an empirical evidence base uh, to help the council take forward their retail strategy. Um, key components of that have been a uh, shopper survey um, of over 500 shoppers across uh, Kilkenny City and County. Um, and the basis of that work uh, echoes our own observations on health check work around the various different centres. Uh, and really it's pulling all of that together to form a view on where uh, retail should go, go forwards. The policies the council should apply. Um, over the next sort of 10 to 15 years. 
And so you mentioned a health check there. Can you give us some of the top top line kind of findings and conclusions out of it? Yeah, so in terms of Kilkenny City, um, it's largely positive. Um, the centre has so many natural advantages in terms of its heritage, uh, its feel, its appearance. Um, but at the same time, um, we have to look at its weaknesses. Um, there have been a number of uh, vacant units uh, coming up uh, in recent uh, years. Um, there is the eternal uh, issue of working with uh, the internet, and I say working with from a viewpoint of it's here to stay so how do we work with it and how do we encourage people still to come to bricks and mortar retail and um, you mentioned vacancy rates how does Kilkenny uh, City stack up yeah, so Kilkenny City is largely comparable to the Irish average. Um, we've also looked at the uh, regional uh, basis uh, and it, it actually performs very well um, compared to the region as a whole. Um, probably one of the top performing uh, region uh, centres in the south of Ireland. And so uh, you also talked to people about the main issues that they saw with the centre and benchmark that against a similar survey I think done in 2010. Any interesting comparisons out of that work? Yeah, I think... Um, Firstly, there's the similarities. Um, I think people uh, in 2010 were talking about parking, price of, availability of, uh, and that's still the top issue today. Um, but then there are uh, some differences as well in terms of, for example, it does look like the accessibility of the centre is increased by public transport. So there's a bit going both ways. There's some good news, there's some bad news, it's a mix. Yeah, and uh, you, there was quite a lively discussion afterwards. You do this for a living, travel all over Ireland and the UK. Any comments on the discussion? Are there common issues, themes emerge for all retailers? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think uh, people here appreciate the value of the centre. I think people understand that, that it's a, a healthy centre on the whole, um, but that you can never rest on your laurels. There is definitely a theme in, in accessibility, in the availability of parking, like we've talked about. Um, and, and the common theme really is about sort of uh, ensuring that we're guarding against um, uh, unsuitable development that would uh, further accentuate issues with vacancies in this time of uh, a wavering economic uh, scene for the high street um, and that's the, the the core issue really that we're, we're looking at. In the context of um, the discussion of retail and the internet there was some interesting figures you quoted about the value of experience and how a good customer experience is worth the premium. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah I think that's it. I think this, this day and age now um, I described it as the Apple effect. I think they were the first onto the high street with a sort of catalogue type store and people went in there for an experience um, they didn't necessarily spend on the premise but they then bought elsewhere um, now obviously we're looking at a city like Kilkenny what we're trying to do is to encourage that experience that makes people want to stay in a shop but also the centre more widely so it's about providing shop uh, experiences where people are, are taking on a bit of a journey um, they want to spend time there but also in terms of actually the place as a whole you know we want people to spend longer in city centres like Kilkenny uh, and so creating spaces to meet uh, and greet and have family time, uh, that's really important. Finally, what's the next step of your work here with Kilkenny County Council on the retail strategy? Yeah, so tonight's been hugely beneficial for us to get a number of uh, threads to work on um, in terms of what, 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 what the good, the bad and the ugly is of, of Kilkenny City uh, and, and the county towns. Uh, and the next stage is for us to pull that into a coherent uh, series of recommendations for the council's plan team to take forward in terms of their planning policies going forward for the next 10, 15 years. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie Councillor David Fitzgerald, uh, we're here at a gathering of Kilkenny County Council to talk about the retail 
strategy. But this evening, uh, details were outlined about the retail task force. You were instrumental in proposing that motion, which was unanimously gathered. What's the purpose of it, and what do you see the retail task force doing? Task force, force is very simple. It's about getting results. It's about identifying the problems. It's about agreeing an action to resolve a problem and that can be a big problem or a small problem if there's a if there's an issue in your street in your retail area if it's a loading bay um, if there's a problem with a neighbor a premises whatever um, street lighting all those whole range of issues uh, on a on a small level and then on a big level we have to tackle the big issues of parking the cost of parking traffic traffic flows through the city, rates, how we make it fair and equal uh, for those who are um, in the city centre versus those who have free parking on the edge of the city. How would you characterise the mood among retailers in Kilkenny at the moment? Retailers are very worried. Um, a lot of traditional businesses have closed. A lot of businesses um, who are national players are under pressure and could close at any moment. Uh, we've seen a level of vacancy in the city uh, that is unprecedented. Um, I've used the word crisis. Some councillors don't believe that it is a crisis. I believe it is a crisis. And I believe we need to um, be very active and proactive immediately. This is the, the task force is not about creating a report. It's about actually getting on with some decisions. And um, I was heartened when I brought forward the motion uh, to the council it, it was unanimously passed so there is a there is a, a will to make this happen um, there is a recognition that this is a serious problem and um, from a whole range of people from employers to employees to shoppers everybody is saying it to me and, and other public representatives we have to protect our city centre it's part of the uniqueness of Kilkenny and that's what tonight is about but there is the element of the glass half full or the glass half empty. Uh, there are positive uh, signs and positive attributes in the retail offering in Kilkenny also, which we can't forget about. Or do you agree with that? Oh, we have. We have some of the best retailers in the country. Um, we have some of the best shops in the country. Um, and what we want to do is make sure that we protect them rather than find that they, they close and one day we, we realise that we have lost that uniqueness, that, that special um, retail offering that Kilkenny has. So uh, it's about protecting what we have rather than uh, panicking or uh, jumping to the wrong conclusion. Um, but we have seen a higher level of vacancies. There's no doubt about that. We have seen more closures over the last than we had seen for some time. Um, we have parts of our city. Uh, it was mentioned in the Tidy Towns report. Uh, they noticed it when they walked the city um, recently and, and noted the level of vacancy. So it, we're not imagining this, this, this problem. Everybody knows that your listeners know that Kilkenny City Centre is not thriving as it was and it's our responsibility as public representatives to support the business community and to come up with practical solutions to support them and keep them in business and, and all the people they employ as well. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. Councillor David Fitzgerald there speaking to me at the meeting held by Kilkenny County Council during the week on the issues surrounding retailing in Kilkenny and we look forward to hearing about the work of the Retail Task Force in the coming weeks and months. Unfortunately, that's about all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Next week, we'll be discussing issues around women in business because next Thursday is National Women's Enterprise Day when the theme is making it happen. Now, the local enterprise offices in Kilkenny and Carlo are both holding events. Check them out on their website 
the one in Kilkenny features Mags Kerwin of Goatsbridge Trout Farm who will be speaking to us on the show next week while in Carlow the local enterprise office events uh, features Kate Gaynor from the Paint Hub who will also be joining us next week on the bottom line also next week Amplitude is an exciting conference on the topics of innovation and technology and starting next week we'll be building up to the event which takes place in the Lyrath Hotel in early November by exploring a number of themes around the whole area of disruptive innovation in business all that next week but in the meantime thanks to all our guests on the programme this week to Dean Clatter of Seed Golf Rob Pearson of Nexus Research Councillor David Fitzgerald Sven Spallen Behrens and Alan Seary thanks to John Keane who stitched all the audio together and Deirdre Drummy who produced I'm John Purcell thank you for listening have a good week and enjoy the weekend KCLR's Bottom Line brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business www.omf.ie